The legend of Igor Shesterkin continues. We talk about the rookie cementing himself as the Blue Shirts' top goaltender with Hall of Fame beat writer Larry Brooks. Speaking of goaltending, we chat with the goalie that led the Rangers to their last Stanley Cup title in 94, the great Mike Richter. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review, damn it. The Post Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks joins the show in his weekly spot. We are also joined by one of the best goalies ever, a key piece to the 1994 Stanley Cup champion Rangers, the great Mike Richter. But now... Here's your host of Up in the Blue Seats, number 10 on his jersey, but number one in our hearts, Ron Duguay. Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking to Mike. Uh, it's always good to talk to him. He's a good friend, and I love his input on goaltending. Um, this past week, he talked goaltending. Igor has been Igor that we expected. Another big win in Winnipeg. Wasn't just him though; it was the team. You talked to Coach Quinn; he was so pleased because finally the team is playing well defensively. Goals against are good, but before that, they had won a big game at home. They beat the Kings, so they're on this momentum right now, and they're hanging on by thread about possibly making the playoffs. So, so you're wondering what's going to happen. They're in Minnesota tonight. Can that momentum carry over? When you look at Igor, last game, 42 saves into that game, another big win. First goaltender in NHL history to have three 40-save wins in the last seven games. So Igor's being Igor. He's all of what everyone expected. So a bright light for the Rangers. What does that mean? Trade deadline for Lundqvist? We're not sure. It's kind of wait and see. Yeah, and Ron, it's funny. So Friday we went to the game. We had some fun. You know, we, we brought our buddy Jackie and uh... – we were dancing, enjoying the food, and enjoying uh, a, a kind of boring game, to be honest. And then in the end, they scored a couple goals. But after the game, it was very funny. We went to a bar. I think it was called Mustang Larry's or Mustang Harry's. So we get to the bar. Funny enough, I mean, a lot of these guys, Ron, look like just average dudes. I mean, you're a special case where you're like this celebrity figure and you got the hair and everything. But Tony D'Angelo walks in, who looks like just like a plumber, like looks like your average like electrician. Uh, he's got the good facial hair. He, he's one of the young guys on the team. He walks in. So then another guy comes in. She thinks it's Joseph Sikora from the show Power. I don't know if you know the actor Joseph Sikora. He plays Tommy, very popular actor, uh, a guy that I've interviewed, a guy that I owe a steak dinner to, actually, because the Cubs were better than the Mets in 2016. Unfortunately, they won the World Series, and uh, I still owe him a, a nice little Del Frisco steak. Anyways, I bet Jackie 20 bucks that that was not Joseph Sikora. I was like, no way. It doesn't look like him. She goes up and has a conversation with this guy. It ends up being like one of Henrik Lundqvist's best friends from Sweden. So we're like, all right, well, that's not a that's not a bad second bet to Joe Sikora. It's Henrik's best friend. So, you know, we're talking to this guy, and he sounds very much like Borat. Sweden is kind of like that Borat accent. It was like, Gors light, I like. Very entertaining guy to talk to. And, you know, you're talking to him, and, I mean, I think this is common knowledge, Ron, but Henrik wants to stay here. I don't think he's going to play much at all the rest of the season. 
He might not start more than one or two games ever again as a Ranger, but I think, and you can attest to this, the pride of playing in New York and being New York, I don't think he wants to go anywhere else. So in terms of the trade deadline, I don't think he wants to get traded. I think he's fine being a mentor to Igor and riding it off as a Ranger and then, you know, hanging up the laces and calling it quits because I don't see him going to another city. And, you know, his friend made it seem like, you know, he loves New York so much that he wouldn't want to leave either. You know what? I believe that. And when you think of, uh, there are certain players that would rather just retire and play in one team and stay there because he's accomplished so much. So you can't blame him. The thing is he has a whole other year in his contract. And the fact is you never know what's going to happen. Like goaltenders get hurt and all of a sudden Lundqvist is back playing. He's playing great hockey and he could be back at a number one. So you don't know. So I'm sure he's looking at this year, not really doing, just staying ready, ready to be the best that he can be. And then going into the next season, he's going to come to camp in shape, and wanting to fight for that number one position. He's never been in that position. And so you just don't know. So that's how he, I'm sure he's looking at it. He wants to finish and play hard because he knows going into the next year, this team's going to be even better. This team next year may make the playoffs. He may be a big part of that. And so he's a very positive thinker. And so I can imagine that's how he's thinking. Well, what's interesting, Ron, is the turn that Rangers fans have kind of had when it comes to Henrik. A lot of them, not that they hate him, but from what I read from Rangers fans on Twitter, they want him either no place near the ice or on on the team, but he seemed like a lovable figure in Rangers history. And that seems now with maybe Igor's emergence to have taken a complete 180 and people are like, you know, be rid of him, let's get rid of his contract, let's clear that money off the books. That love for him has definitely shifted over the last at least month or a couple of months this season. Yeah, mixed uh, feelings out there with Ranger fans. Uh, part of it is that he's carrying a big salary and most people are knowledgeable know that that eight and a half million that he's carrying if it if it was no longer there that it could provide a different type player on the team and so some fans look at it that way and then other fans look at it he's never won us a Stanley Cup he's been a good player they had opportunities in the playoffs but he's never won us a Stanley Cup so they kind of uh use that against him and so there's a lot of mixed feelings there within Ranger fans from one future Hall of Famer Henrik Lundqvist to a Hall of Fame beat writer Larry Brook Rangers beat writer for the New York Post, Larry Brooks, now joins us. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Larry, welcome. Come on in. Um, it's been uh, an interesting couple of weeks when we talk goaltending. Igor is, is uh, really is taking the range. He's given that opportunity. He's playing really well. And I guess I need to ask you about his demeanor because Coach Quinn talks about his calmness and his confidence. What is it that you're seeing in the kid? When I see him, he, he is, he, you know, it, he's not around all the time in the locker room. Um, his his post-game uh, press briefings have been pretty short, actually. Uh, the last couple of games, he hasn't talked because the, the Rangers haven't had an interpreter there for him. Um, so it's a little difficult to, to, to be able to tell you exactly what kind of personality he has, except that he seems to be um, unaffected by this. You know, he seems to be strolling through the park uh, when he walks through the locker room. He's, you know, he's, he's an engaging, friendly person. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't appear that he is, uh, you know, in over his head in, in any sense here. He, he's, you know, he's played on a big stage before in, in, uh, in Russia. Uh, he's on a big stage now. He seems entirely comfortable with it. Um, 
He's uh, you you wouldn't guess he's a rookie, but he's also 24 years old. He's he's it's not as if he's a 19 year old or or 20 year old young man coming in. He's 24. He's played a lot of hockey. He's played a lot of international hockey. He's played in world championships. Um, it, in in effect, it it's reminiscent of when Lundqvist came, and people didn't really know who he was around here. They'd heard about him for a long time, but they weren't you know no one was really sure. And that first training camp, he came in and was dazzling. And early in the season, he was dazzling. And Yager would say to people, listen, he's not. this is not a, a normal rookie. He's a world-class goalie. And that's the same impression I have of Shesterkin. Moving forward with the goaltending situation, we had talked about this last week. So it looks like it's coming to, the, to an end, the three-goalie system. Is that what you're seeing? Yes. I, I, I think it's, it's Shesterkin and whomever – they choose to to play on on the nights that he doesn't. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing tonight, actually, in uh, in Minnesota. So that'll be an interesting one. I I had I had thought before the trip that they'd probably go with Georgiev in the other end of the back to back. So I I doubt that Shesterkin will play back to back, but maybe he will. I you know I don't know. Um, but if they need another goalie for one of these two starts here, whether Minnesota uh, tonight and Columbus tomorrow. I had thought that he'd probably go with Georgiev. Uh, Hank came in, made the big save the other night, so I'm not sure. But yes, it, it Igor Shesterkin right now is their goalie. And whomever they choose to play in the other games is whomever they choose to play in the other games. Um, it doesn't seem to me at this point that they are looking to deal Georgiev and so I think they'll have the three of them on the roster going forward the rest of the year. Maybe someone steps up, offers uh, offers a top six forward for Georgiev, and the Rangers can't say no to that. I'm not sure where that would go. Um, but Shesterkin's their goalie. Okay, with Hank, uh, this is all new territory for him. And uh, what are you seeing in his kind of demeanor with having to handle this? Has he been in an optimistic, supportive uh, type of goaltender? Oh, I think he's been extremely supportive. I, 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 I can't speak to the dynamics behind closed doors, but I think there is a but, but what I infer is there is a reason they want him to back up. Uh, there is a reason they want him in the room during the games, between periods. They want him on the bench during the games. They want him in the room between periods and before the game. I I, I think he's been nothing but supportive of Shesterkin. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure um, he hasn't said very much. Uh, I, I'm sure this is a terrible, terrible blow to him. A terrible blow. How could it not be? So, But, I, but he's handling it professionally. Uh, he's handling it the way you would expect. Uh, moving forward, not really knowing what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks as far as the team goes. I mean, it, their their game in, Win in Winnipeg was impressive. A, a lot of it had to do with, and they've realized that they have to play really sound defensive hockey. And they beat a really good team. Now, moving forward, I mean, they're still hanging on by a thread as far as thinking about possibly making the playoffs. But when it comes to trade deadline, everyone's talking about the Rangers are probably going to be sellers. Is there any chance that they could be buyers moving forward, thinking about next year, not trading off Kreider, and possibly be buyers, not thinking about making the playoffs, but improving their team going into next year? I think that's unlikely sim simply because of their cap situation next year. I, 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 I think they'd love to add a top six forward. And, and, and again, the Kreider thing I think now is, going to, is, is essentially going to become a negotiation between the Rangers and Kreider. Um, Kreider's party. I, I think the Rangers 
want to keep Kreider. Um, I think they've come to the uh, spot where where they where they believe that in the next couple of years there could be a much better team with Chris than with whatever they were able to get they'd be able to get back for him. But it's going to become a contract negotiation, and um, I'm not sure where that's going to go. Could they add? You know, if if they subtract Chris. Could they then also go out and look to replace him by getting a top six forward on the market? I think they might, but but it would have to be somebody who fits into their price range. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to be sellers in so much. You know, I don't I don't think they're looking to to purge players. I think they're looking. They're trying to figure what next year's cap situation is going to be, which players they would be able to accommodate under the cap, and and go from there. This isn't. Um, I don't think they're they're certainly not in a spot where they were two years ago, where they simply unloaded everybody. I don't think they're in the same spot as they were last year when they knew they weren't going to sign Zuccarello, when they knew they weren't going to sign Hayes um, and, and were committed to moving them out for draft choices and prospects. Um, this is one where I think they would they would like to keep Kreider and we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I but I don't rule out the possibility that if. Josh Anderson from Columbus becomes available at a at a uh, price they can afford. I, I wouldn't rule them out. Um, I, I think they're trying to do a lot of things at once here. Um, whether they can do any of them, we'll we'll see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, let's talk uh, Truba. Truba, I know you've uh, you've talked about him, and uh, you know because of his big contract, expectations have been really high. And there are games where he plays to that contract. There are other games where he's not as visible. But going into Winnipeg, uh, I think that was a really test, a real test for him because of the pressure having to play there. And he had probably one of his best games of the season. I, I agree with you. I, I I think he played his most assertive game of the year. And I was thinking maybe, maybe you know, uh, maybe this could be a, you know, a cathartic uh, uh, game for him that he leaves, you know, all of the past behind him now and just moves, moves forward. I, my, my issue with, with, you know, my concerns about Truba really aren't as much about the contract is that, He's he's their first defenseman. He's their he's their top D, and so he has to play to that level. I you know I, I you know you put a number out there and say eight million. There's a, there's a lot of different reasons he's making eight million dollars, um, but I, you know so I don't I don't necessarily think he has to be a quote eight million dollar player, but he has to be an effective shutdown first pair right defenseman. That's what he has to be. He has to be a guy who plays up to the level that if he's going to play 23, 24 minutes a night, and most of them are against the opposition's top line and the others are against the, the second line, then he has to be an effective player in that role. And so whether he's making $3 million and he's he's the first pair right D or $12 million and he's the first pair right D, he has to play to that level. And I think that the other night in Winnipeg was a was exactly what you want from Jacob Truba going forward, whether that means he's an $8 million player, a $6 million player, a $14 million player, doesn't matter. He's got to be effective. All right. Well, having said that, when you look at the team, it's probably one of their better games of the season, a good road game, probably the best road game of the season when they really needed to have it. So if you're looking your crystal ball and you're looking at the next three games, because if they're going to have any chance hanging on by thread, 
of getting closer to that playoff spot, what do you foresee the next three games out of this Ranger team? Because they're relatively healthy. They're as good as we've seen them. Is it possible they can run off three games? Listen, their goaltending right now is, is at a is at a superior level. So presuming that the goaltending remains at this standard, they have a chance to win every night now. They've cleaned up their own end. I, I think they've cleaned up their own end to a, to a pretty significant degree over the last month. They, you know, they're, they're not the, the 76 Canadians or the 03 Devils, but, uh, you know, they, their, their structure in their own end has been better. Where they still get into trouble is, is when they make foolish decisions with the puck. And that's really the onus. If, if they can play a, a reasonably simple game, if if they can train themselves and be disciplined enough to to play what David Quinn calls you know the boring style, I mean that doesn't mean Artemi Panarin needs to be a boring player. You know each guy has his own threshold, but if they can be a more disciplined team coming through the neutral zone, and a more disciplined team with how they play once they gain the zone, then they've got a fighting chance. You know, they, they do. Um, their top two lines right now are imposing. Panarin himself is imposing, and the way he's combined with, with um, Ryan Strom makes them a very dangerous line, obviously. And the way that Kreider, Zibanejab, and Buknevich are playing gives them two legit top, you know, two legit lines to throw out at the opposition. And that's and, and that's why they want to keep Kreider, because this is now they haven't had this for a while. They haven't had this since, you know, the middle of the last decade when they can throw out Stepan and Broussard one after the uh, one after the other. And they had a strong top six. Did they have Sidney Crosby and, and Evgeny Malkin? No, but they had a strong top six that they could throw out every night. And they were tough to play against in the playoffs because they could just throw out those those top two lines. So now they're they're kind of back to that. So if they if they can avoid the turnovers, if if they can avoid the the odd man rushes that they they surrender still too often, then yes, they they can compete. And whether that brings them anywhere close to a playoff spot, I kind of doubt it. I just don't see that. But what's important to me is that they continue to improve. And and I think they've improved pretty dramatically over the last month. I think they've they've been a much better team, n- not perfect. They're not there every night, but they're getting better. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Larry, we appreciate your insights. We'll talk next week. Enjoyed it. Number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. I belong here. The way I dressed was different. I had the big 80s hair, and I probably became more popular a few years ago with doing television than I was as a player. Walked the streets, and people recognized me. It is everyone's favorite part of the show, and it's time for Ron Remembers, where Ron Duguay tells a story from his past, and boy, does he have many stories to share. Over the course of the show, you've heard a lot about Cher and you know different celebrities and uh, the interview magazine, and a lot of times Ron has mentioned Andy Warhol. Now, people of my age, younger ones, might not know about him, so you know Andy Warhol was this celebrity-like figure and as an artist and producer and just, you know, everything surrounding him. He was just this huge celebrity, and it was a big part of that interview magazine and the tattoo on Ron's daughter Shay's arm. So, Ron, I want you this week to talk about Andy Warhol. What was he like? What are some 
Andy Warhol memories that you have to share in this week's edition of Ron Remembers? Well, Andy was very, uh, was an interesting person because of his um, demeanor. Uh, he always appeared to be so quiet and shy, and actually he was. So I, I got to know Andy as a person, just having been around him, meeting him at Studio 54, going to various uh, different parties. Um, and then I got to meet a lot of his uh, close friends, Liza Minnelli, Elizabeth Taylor, Halston. Um, the list is really long. He was so well-respected uh, because as an artist, uh, everyone wanted to be part of or maybe part of his magazine, which was Interview Magazine, or get painted by Andy Warhol. And so with Andy, he just wouldn't paint anyone. So I got friendly with him within a year or so. He decided that he wanted to put me on the cover of Interview magazine. At the time, I didn't quite understand the importance of that. I was just willing to do it because I thought it'd be fun. So I got to see him as a person and I got to see the master at work. So I spent a whole day with him as he was, he was doing all these various photos of myself. And then he had to figure out which picture, picture to take. And most people tell me that that picture they took, it really kind of um, showed who I was as far as the eyes and, and the facial thing. And so he just had a really good eye on taking good pictures. And then him and I sat around and we did the interview. And, uh, and, and just his questions were kind of different, a different perspective. But what happened for me after being part of the interview magazine, I got to meet other people. Uh, one example is Steven Spielberg, the great Steven Spielberg, the movie producer. He picked up the magazine, I think, within a week when it came out. And I got a call one day, and Steven Spielberg wants to meet me. And I'm like, why? He says, well, actually, he's going around trying to figure out who's going to be the lead in the next movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so here I am having dinner with Steven Spielberg. And I am i think I'm 23. I might be 24 years old. I'm still a baby. And I didn't quite understand what it was going to be like to have a meeting with him because he was at a dinner. We're having dinner somewhere in Midtown. And so his way of getting to know me was dinner. And so because I was so shy, I, I think I failed the test. And so Harrison Ford got that role, but I was being considered in Harrison Ford's leading role. So that in itself was pretty interesting. And then, of course, I told the story of Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett picked up the magazine and she wanted to uh, meet with me, which I did. And the other thing with Andy, he liked to mess with me occasionally. And I can remember this one time we all decided, and there's this place called, uh, oh, it was a rollerblading it was a place that just came out. It was essentially going out rollerblading. And uh, and, I'll, and I'm not remembering the name right now, but there was about eight of us, all friends. Johnny McEnroe was one of them. We all went rollerblading, and we're all kind of sitting there getting ready to go. And, and Andy says, Ron, would you do my skates for me? <laughs> he didn't know how to lace up rollerblade skates. So I'm down on my knees and kind of rolling, doing his skates. And then, uh, then he stands up. He says, well, do you want to make sure that I don't fall? I said, okay. So I led him to the door, out to the surface. And so he grabs onto my arm to make sure he doesn't fall. And so we start moving. Next thing you know, he grabs me by the hand, like boyfriend and girlfriend. We start moving around, start skating. I'm like, oh my God. I don't, and I see a, there's a couple of paparazzi skating around. They're coming over to thinking about taking a picture. And I'm like, and so I like, what do I do? I mean, I like Andy, but to take a picture like this is not going to go good. Gressner is going to make fun of me if he sees this one. And so right around the corner, 
I see Christy Brinkley and Christy's coming around and she happens to fall right in front of me. And so that was my opportunity to break the hands and say, Andy, listen, I got to go help Christy. And so I skate over to Christy and I introduced myself. I hadn't met her yet. And so I helped her around start skating with her. So Andy was good with that. So that's kind of my cute story with Andy. He was, he became a good friend and uh, I'm all, you know, I've always been so grateful of him putting me on the cover of uh, the magazine, Interview Magazine. Welcome back. And my next guest played 14 years in NHL, all those years with the New York Rangers. Their goaltender, the Stanley Cup winner in 94, Mike Richter. Mike, welcome to the show. Listen, a lot of the talk right now with the New York Rangers has been their goaltending, and I thought that uh, I can only give uh, my thoughts and opinions on goaltending because I hadn't played the uh, the position, so I thought, let's talk to Mike. And so, Mike, um, have you? when you look back at your career, I'm looking back at your first year, and there was three goaltenders there. Did you have to, ever have to play through three goaltending? I did, and... Uh, depending on the position you are in in those three, it could be fantastic, uh, ho-hum, or terrible. And in my position, it was fantastic. I was a young guy coming in with a veteran, Bob Froese, and a guy in the middle of his prime, John Van Beesbrook. So it wasn't until I was a bit older to realize how gracious both of those guys were. Uh, I'm sitting there with my arms around, isn't this great the three of us get to play? And Bob Froese used to look at me and say, hey, man, we got a problem. There's two nets and three goalies uh, in practice. And, uh, you know, he always did it with a bit, a little bit of a smile. But the fact remains, you're that third wheel. And literally, you're in the way uh, of practice. You have to go and sit on the bench sometimes if they're doing breakouts from one end and, and all, using full ice. My thought was, you know, when you're young, you can get some rotations in. That's great. But you do have to play. And with the all-star break, you saw was it 17 games that Georgie had between his starts very difficult and so that starts to in the beginning it's fine in the long term it's, it's kind of untenable and um, right now they're doing a great job of getting everybody in there and the beautiful thing is they have three fantastic goaltenders each one of them so coach Quinn talked about the best goaltender will play does that push you when you have three goaltenders does that push you a little bit harder did, did you do you like the pressure of you know I need to perform like every practice every game or is it is it too much to think about? Well, I mean, look, your practices can be, should be in some ways safe zones on one hand where, all right, I have a hurt ankle, for instance, I'm going to take a little bit of an easy today, or I've just played three and four nights and the next practice might be a little bit of a breather where you just want to work on your angles. Um, when it's a tryout every time, you don't get a chance to breathe necessarily. And you've even hurt Hank over the course of his career, you know, they'll pull him out of a few games and say, we're going to have a backup play a little bit. Uh, I remember when Calvert was here and, and Hank's just going to work on this game because he wants to get some fewer practices in and really work. Otherwise, you have to just maintain your, your energy level so you don't want to go all out all the time. The flip side of that is, yes, being pushed can be a great thing. Um, peer pressure in a locker room, uh, whether you're a forward defenseman or goalie, is uh, ultimately healthy because, you, you know, that's what sport is. It's, it's the best man wins. And um, nothing is granite. And, and, and look, you can be the best goalie in the world. And at some point, someone's going to be tapping your shoulder and say, hey, we have a young kid who can, can do this uh, as well as you now. And he's younger and he has more upside. So um, you better fight like a dog to keep your spot. I think that is healthy and, and it's got to be put in context. And I think 
you know, both um, the, the coaching staff, I think, has a really good eyeball for this, and I think he's, he's handling it very, very well. So it, it, it takes less pressure off the goalies, but it does push them, push them to be their best, which is what you need. So when you're watching Ranger hockey or hockey in general, when you're looking at goaltending, like when you're watching the game, are you looking at goaltending and technique? Like, could you describe to me, like, Igor's technique? Um, I, I do, and I just I, I, I look at Every goalie in the league right now, there's no team that has a bad goalie. Some are better than others, but I think, Ron, you know, we, we've played in, in, you know, spanning a couple of decades here, and you've just watched the game progress in terms of its skill and its size and its um, preparedness of the players coming into the league. And um, nowhere has that been, you know, that, that, that explosion in talent, I think, been better represented than in goal. Um, guys are bigger, better conditioned, um, mentally more prepared. Their technique is very solid. They don't go out there hoping. They go out there knowing what they're doing. And when they have a hard time, uh, like we described Hank, he goes back and says, I'm going to just work on my fundamentals now, um, particularly with, between the pipes of the Rangers. I mean, how long has it been? Coach Allaire is, is a fantastic goaltending coach. He's working with great material. They're drafting well. And they're developing within. So yes, I watch these guys, and I watched Thurston's first game, and um, yeah, I think it was somebody was commenting. Well, you know, he had to settle down a little bit. I don't even agree with that. He didn't have to settle down. He came in, and, you know, had one shot go off someone's rear end, and and I think the next goals, two of the first four goals went in, was a giveaway to McKinnon. But you know, the team settled down. Um, he just continued just to play the way he was playing and ends up winning a game against a great team and which says an awful lot in your first start and he's never looked back what he's six and one now and he's been tested so this kid um this is not a fluke right i mean they've been saying it for some time the best goalie coming out of russia he had some kind of crazy stats like 81 games and nine losses over two years in the khl the second best league in the world but there's an adjustment coming to north america so there is a question and i think he answered that with an explanation point coming in and playing the AHL as well as he did with unbelievable numbers. So you can't keep him down there forever and you got to pick him up. So is it a problem? I don't think so. I mean, it's a great problem to have. You have in the, perhaps the most important position on the ice, you know, the Ranger organization has done what it needs to do and that has put strength there. Yeah. I got to ask you about the 94 team because it's still celebrated to this day. I have to ask you in the goaltending position when were you when you were looking up ice and you're going against Marty Berdour, what was your impressions of Marty Berdour? Terribly overrated. Couldn't stop a puck. No, this guy was great. <laughs> I mean, he, he he was great, and you know I count him as a friend. You know he was, he was always an easygoing guy, and we played against each other so many times. And yeah, you wanted to beat his ass when you're out there for sure. But I, I really liked him as a person and had a great time. And just in the round, and we've done promotions together recently. You know. Uh, we're up on stage with Kenny Danigo acting as a moderator. I'd love to hear his stories. He's had an incredible career, and you knew it from day one. I mean, we faced him as a rookie in the playoffs, um, and he had a great season leading up to that, but he's kind of splitting with Chris Terreri, but he really played a, a great playoffs up to that uh, conference final. Um, tough kid to beat. Over time, he's making just incredible saves. Moved the puck even well back then, had a lot of confidence. But fundamentally, a very sound goalie and a guy that just didn't let problems get to him. So, at a young age, he was able to shake off a goal, um, a bad period or a bad game, and come right back and just be relied upon, which is crucial, obviously, in that position. They had a veteran team with a young goalie. It could have been a problem, and it absolutely wasn't. So I had a lot of respect for him from the first time I saw him play. Um, and really, he just 
his his consistency, which I would say about Hank too, at the Rangers over the course of his career is so impressive, and it's a real mark of a of a great player. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I think he played at a high level from the time he walked onto the ice, really to the time he left New Jersey and then retired uh, at a St. Louis. Very difficult to do. Some guys take a long time to ramp up and then hit a cliff on the on the way out. He just kept playing at a great rate and really avoided injuries. So you see his numbers. A, you have to be on a good team. B, you have to be just a great player. And C, you have to have this longevity in order to have that, I guess, that, 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 that you know, career that he's had. So every time you played against him, you're measuring against, you know, he, Hasek, um, and, and Wall were the three guys that you'd really get up for to play against. But, you know, you know, it's a team game, but you have your pride and you want to beat the guy on the other side. So, Mike, if you were to um, strap on the pads – uh, now today in today's game in your prime do you believe you would have to change your style of goaltending I think you would in the sense that it, it, it's literally different equipment that closes the five hole very well you see the guys like Lunky when he goes down and Sterkin and, and, and George is saying I mean they can close the five hole and still almost have their toes post to post I mean they're taking away six feet of net pretty well when they're in position <clears throat> and whereas you know, you remember J.D. and Bernie Perrant and, uh, you know, Ken Dryden. It was much more of a stand-up, keep your ankles together so no one gets five-hold and then kick out left and right. While Marty was playing and while I was playing, that changed. Um, not because necessarily Patrick Waugh came along and tried to butterfly and everybody else would try it. No, I mean, you know, you had Tony Esposito doing that early. But you really, it was a necessity later on because – when you think about it, the game became East-West so much more. Just in the in the couple decades, I came in and I signed with the Rangers in 88. And there was, you know, as good of my angles. I had grown up watching Bernie Perron, who was fabulous at that. And you think of the old goalies that you played against. The good ones knew how to handle the angles, and it was an up-and-down North-South game. But with the influence of the Europeans and more creativity on the ice, more of what Gretzky and the Oilers brought, in the mid, uh, early and mid 80s, it, it started changing. And now it's so much like that. So you better be able to move left to right. And you see how good these guys, particularly all three of the Rangers goalies. I mean, it's fabulous how quick they go left to right. Also, these guys are just bigger. You don't see a lot of goalies that are under six feet. And, you know, my hockey card said 5'11", I believe. And that may have been a stretch between you and me. Um, so I'm real close to 5'10". And, you know, you have guys that can move as quick as uh, I did left to right, but they're 6'3" and well-conditioned and with a great technique that closes off the five hole. So, yeah, I think the everybody's got a slightly different, you know, personality stamp they put on the game, but you have to be balanced. You have to be centered on the puck and you have to be able to move left, right. Because even if you read it properly, there's always that, that shot that goes off of someone's foot. Um, they're just commenting on Carey Price, who's so controlled. But even last night when Pasternak scored, I think, his second goal, <clears throat> It just it was a bounce, and you have to be able to adjust and be athletic at some point. And, um, you know, that's as much between the years as it is um, your your physical capabilities because you, you can't give up on a puck. And that one save over the course of uh, a round in the playoffs may mean the difference between winning game seven and, and losing it. So, yeah, I would have to adjust my game a lot. But I think that you always have to in, the, in your career if – 
you play long enough. The game absolutely changed when Bordeaux was in there, and I, and I was in there as well. Stanley Cup champion goalie Mike Richter joining us for one more. I know you got meetings to get to. You're a businessman now and got a lot going on. But I, I want to ask you about our first guest, Mike Keenan, who was the coach of that Rangers team. A hard-nosed style that we hear about probably that wouldn't work in today's game. Can you look back at memories of Mike Keenan and maybe a fond memory or not fond memory of that toughness that he instilled on you guys? Because clearly it worked. He was gone after that year, but clearly what he did worked. But I know it might have been hard at times, and sometimes you might have wanted to punch him in the face. I guess to all that. I mean, I've got great memories. I've got horrible memories. But they're all, you know, as you get a distance from it. I mean, it, it, it's what made the year so intense and so great and so successful. He was a hard-driving guy. Um, I remember Rick Tocca saying when there's a controversy surrounding him right before he came to the Rangers, big deal. He, you know, he insults you. He says a couple bad words. Get over it. You know, the game's tough, and if you can't handle that, you shouldn't be in the game. And it's kind of true. I think our team took that attitude a little bit. Keenan was going to lose his mind. He was going to kick a trash can. He was going to challenge you. He was going to insult you. But he's also going to make you your best every game. And you talk about that peer pressure. We had more guys in the team than there was, you know, spots for fannies on the bench, so you, you you bet your backside that you're going to be working every practice. And if you didn't, he would not let it slip for one pass, one shot, one drill in practice. And I think you need that intensity. It's hard, and over years that can grind on you, but we needed that. We had a veteran team that could handle it. We had the talent that could um, uh, carry us. And if you came with that effort, you were going to have success. And I felt going into every game, and, and a large part because of Mike Keenan, we were prepared to play. Our practices were hard. We demanded a ton of each other and, and, and a level of fitness and pre preparedness that otherwise wouldn't be there. So it was just almost a secret weapon. So when things got tough, we figured we'd find a way out. And he did that purposely. And I, you know, I commend him for it. And I owe him for that. I mean, hard to not like the guy when he brings you to the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, I, I loved it. It was just you know, I look back with nothing but fun memories now, although at the time there was, as you know, plenty of grind. Okay, Mike, we appreciate your time. All the best. Always a Ranger. Great to talk to you, pal. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. That's a wrap for episode 11 on Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen every week. Subscribe to the show, rate us five stars, and write a nice review wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RonDugate10. Thanks for joining us this week. Talk to you all next Thursday. <laughs>